Hello, it's me, it's another We're Not Wizards Presents episode and this time we it's joined by the Board Game Hot Takes podcast which Tim, Chris and Adam discuss all manner of things and in this episode it's all about Kickstarters so if you like what you listen to uh, drop them a subscription, leave them a little review and uh, follow them on social media but until the next time, man with the show Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. I'm Chris. This is Adam. And we're going to depart from our normal format for this episode, and instead of a hot take review, we're going to cover our top five lists of upcoming Kickstarter deliveries. For this conversation, each of us are going to talk about five board game Kickstarter campaigns that we've backed and are most excited to receive. We'll discuss what got us interested in the particular Kickstarter campaign and whether we're still as excited to play them as we were when we first backed them. So before we actually jump into our list, I wanted to ask you guys, did you guys have any trouble picking your top five? And tell me a little bit about how you how you went about that. I did have a little bit of trouble. I had a handful, uh, embarrassingly, about 16 or so Kickstarters I'm waiting for delivery on. So I don't know how... I feel embarrassed about myself. <laughs> That's I must. I think I had a you know a wave where I was like, oh, I got to kickstart this. I got to kick. So it's slowed down significantly since this peak about a year ago, a year to two to three years ago. Yeah, that's quite a, quite a few to have to make some choices out of. Yeah, so it took. Um, it wasn't too bad, but so there's some that I'm really not excited about at all. That'll probably just be trying to sell as soon as I get them. <laughs> and then there's a. There's a few that I'm very excited to get. So, All right. What about you, Chris? Well, I'm not quite as much of a, um, of a spendthrift as, uh, as Adam is. I, I, I didn't have quite that many. Uh, but one of the things I thought was funny when you put out the idea of saying, hey, what's your top five? I'm like, man, that assumes that we've all got more than five out there and, and <laughs> we both do. So I thought that was a great idea. But there is a bunch that I was very excited about. I think probably all of them. I get excited about all of them. And even if the game itself is not going to be the most amazing thing out there, I love the Kickstarter process. I like it watch, you know, I like watching it come together. I like seeing the the stretch goals unlock. I like seeing the, you know, the progress on the, the design and the progress on the execution. I just think it's great. So I have fun with all of them, even if the game ends up kind of sucking in the end. Um, but I actually did have a little bit of trouble, maybe not with the top two or three, but you know, when you get down to like four or five, there were a couple that I'm like, man, should it be this one? Should it be this one? I just kind of had to power through and pick the ones that, that sung to me most. So, but, but overall, I, it was, it was, it was a reasonable choice. Nice. Uh, mine was pretty easy. I actually only have six Kickstarters that are out there waiting to be delivered at this point. And one of them I just backed this last week and I, possible I may back out on it. So it was pretty easy for me to just say, yeah, here's here's five that I'm actually I know I'm I'm gonna be getting and I'm excited for all of them at to different differing levels. So um all right well why don't we go ahead and jump into our list. So we're gonna start from number five and count down to number one. So um um, I'm actually really excited. One of the reasons I wanted to pick this topic is is just because I'm actually kind of curious about what you guys have been backing over the last couple of years. I'm sure we've talked about some of them, but we seem to have somewhat different tastes. And I think that's why this is a kind of an interesting topic, because even when our tastes are similar in some games, um, 
the things that get us excited about Kickstarter seem to be very different. And when we've been talking recently about things we're excited about for the coming week, we almost never pair up. You know, we almost never have the same, the kind of the same things that are getting us uh, juiced up. So uh, this will be interesting to see how, uh, how we all kind of rank up and we'll, we'll see if we have any crossovers here. That'd be, uh, that'd be a, a little bit surprising to me if we did actually. So let's go ahead and start with uh, Adam. Why don't you jump in and give us your number five? The way I filtered through where I picked the games that are kind of the most, that seem to me to be the most kind of unique or different or something that kind of stands out for the crowd. So maybe not so much your dudes on the map or typical Euro. Having said that, uh, my fifth most excited Kickstarter is High Frontier. It's by um, Phil Eklund and uh, produced by Sierra Madre Games. It has the reputation of being one of the most complex games out there. You're not sure exactly what you do, but the map, it's a neoprene map. It's huge. It's a solar system. I think it goes pretty far out, out to, I think Pluto's on there. Poor little non-planet Pluto is on there. And it's this giant neoprene map with all these like orbit pattern, orbit transfer. It's just amazingly hard science. Phil Eklund was a former JPL guy. He's got some uh, jet propulsion laboratory. So, you know, he was himself a rocket scientist and he's a designer of the game. So that looks pretty neat. The latest update was that it was on the boats from Hong Kong, leaving Hong Kong tomorrow. So however long it takes to get from there to here, looking forward to it. Nice. So this is a reprint, it looks like. It looks like it's the third edition. Is that right? It's the fourth one. This one's called High Frontier for All. It's the fourth edition, yeah. Okay, cool. I never actually heard about this game until earlier today. I was on Twitter, and uh, there's another um, uh, heavy cardboard, I think, uh, was doing a, a full playthrough, and they said it was a t- they were expecting it to be a 12-hour teach and playthrough. I saw the video was uh, seven hours long. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. So did it end at seven or were they still going when you saw it? Good question. The video that I looked at was seven. Maybe they chopped it off and started a new one. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a, a a risky uh, purchase. And, and uh, do you, do you think this is something that you would be able to get in? Like, who, who do you see getting this played with? Like what, what's the, (laughs) that is a great question, Tim. (laughs) Maybe myself, probably not even just me. I might just take open it up one time and look at the the amazing map and then never play it. And so who knows? Maybe someday in the future there'll be someone that is interested. Right? <laughs> even that would be a victory, though. Just seeing that beautiful map. Exactly. Right. Thanks, Chris. The map seriously does look pretty amazing and and pretty. I mean, I would love to kind of know how this all works. I probably won't spend the time to learn it. Maybe someday in the future. I just, here's my thing with a game that long is I just feel like I, I would always just think like, man, we could have played like three or four games in it in that time period, you know? And that's kind of my feeling too, is tended towards the, not necessarily lighter, but games that are quicker. You get just as much, much interest out of a game that plays in an hour or two rather mm-hmm. than having to learn this whole system. And so well, I'm excited to get it. It's I'm also very overwhelmed, and I'm, I'll be shocked if I ever play. <laughs> hey, about, you know, we, we've got a bunch of games that we played, Brass, Birmingham, for example, that we've managed to take an hour or two game and turn into a seven-hour game, so we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> it did not quite take seven hours. And, and in all fairness, Chris, um, you know, when we're playing on, on Tabletop Simulator, you have to add an extra, like, 50% of time just for, uh, you know, moving all the bits around and stuff, so... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. but yeah, I, I get it. I, that means High Frontier is actually like a twenty-five hour game for us. All right, well, that's an interesting one, Adam. All right, sounds good. Um, Chris, why don't you jump in with your number five? 
Coming in at number five, I've got the Star Realms Deluxe Nova Collection. And uh, for those not familiar, Star Realms is a deck builder by Rob Doherty. And it is, for me, I'm, I didn't buy this one because I really want to play it. I bought, I bought it because this is my first true love as a gamer. Uh, Tim introduced me to this one, and I just, it, it clicked, and, and I fell in love. I just, I love this game, the original um, Star Realms. I got a bunch of the uh, the expansion packs and the online version. I think online, I've got something like 10,000 games under my belt. I think Tim and I have like, you know, 2,000 collectively that we've played together. Uh, it is it is an absolutely amazing game, and the this this Kickstarter is for a big box that covers like everything. It's got a big box. It's got a place to put everything. It's got all of the expansions, all the expansions in foil cards. And it's beautiful looking. It does add a couple of cool little extra things like a player mat and the multiplayer game uh, and some dials that let you keep track of your score and your, your health and whatnot. Uh, so there are some things in there that add a little bit to it. But in reality, for me, this is more of just like a it's something that I just want to own. I'm not even sure I'll ever pull it out. I, but I want to be able to take that box and say, man, look at this beautiful freaking game. And, uh, and, and who knows? It, it'll be an added bonus if I ever get to play it. That's, uh, that sounds like my high frontier, Chris. So, or... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have to say I was actually really tempted on this one too. And, and I didn't buy it because I'm kind of a minimalist. I mean, I, I try to only keep games that I know are going to get played and that I, I know that I'll get some, you know, some decent use out of. But uh, I, I also love Star Realms. I, I, you know, the, the app version, I think the probably the main reason why I didn't bother with the physical board game is because the app is so great. It's so easy to play and, and just get a game at any time. And so chances are I'm always going to play it that way. That being said, just the fact that they actually replaced the stupid scoring cards from the original Star Realms game with the dials. Uh, yeah, they, they totally sucked. And so I was tempted just for that reason. Obviously, you could use other things to score with, but... Uh, to have official dials just feels like a little bit of a, uh, you know, like it was necessary. Um, I just found out recently, actually, that Star Realms, Realms I guess one of the later expansions, one of the the later bigger expansions added a solo mode to it. And so I was almost tempted. I was actually just thinking about looking on, you know, Amazon a couple of days ago and just checking out that expansion uh, and maybe getting that in because Star Realms is a great game. And I, me and my wife get it, get to play it every once in a while. It's a quick, easy game to play. But after the thousands of games Chris and I have played, it's really hard to get to the table with anybody. You know, like you, if you teach anybody new at it, you know, basically you already know to run with the mech cult or whatever, the the scrapping cards. And basically, you know, you're going to win the game. If you're playing the base and you go with you go heavy red, and that's not a strategy that's really easy unless somebody really knows deck building. That's not a strategy that a new player is going to pick or is going to grasp right away. So it's kind of hard for them to be competitive after so much play. So, uh, but that's cool, Chris. I mean, you know, if you if you're willing to actually like let some people get their dirty hands on it, if uh, I get a chance, <laughs> I'd love to play it with you in person. I love those foil cards. I bet it'd be it'd be a blast to get that big old big old deck with all the expansions out there. Yeah, no doubt. So that's a game I've. That's a game I've heard about a lot, and I've only played it on the app, so against the computer. So what's the? It's a. It's just a hardcore deck builder, right? It's just a deck builder. That's yeah, it. I mean, you should like if you've got the app, you know, you can start up a game with me or Chris. You can just do an invite, and we can knock out a game, and you know, like we'll do it. If you're playing straight, it's like ten or fifteen minutes, but we do it asymmetric. So like, you know, Chris will start a game with me in the middle of the day, and I'll be on a conference call, kind of killing time. So I'll get in a couple moves, and he will, and 
sometimes we'll finish a game in five or 10 minutes. And then sometimes one of us will get pulled away and we finish it 24 hours later. Nice. But it's really, you know, kind of like a low impact. Like a lot of deck builders, you get the five cards that are drawn off the top of the deck and you're, you're going to play them all. And there's not too many hard decisions to make. So you can kind of do it absentmindedly. I mean, there are some decisions you have to make to, to especially what you're buying from the market. Um, but it's pretty straightforward and just a, I, I think they did a, the variety in the cards and the abilities and how, just how clean it is. Like just the whole, like the cleanness of how simple the different abilities are, but how fun they are and the excitement of getting one that, that comes up in the market row that just perfectly matches the deck you're trying to build. Like the game's a blast. I, I will, I will play it anytime. Um, and we go back and forth sometimes because we'll play with the base deck and that's a lot of fun. And there's a very, streamlined experience with it but then chris will add in like 15 expansions one day and then it's a blast just to see all the variety in the in the cards too so cool well, cool chris uh that that'll be a fun one when you get it someday um so my number five is it's a wonderful world ascension um so it's a wonderful world was designed by frederick Gourard and published by le boy de Joux, which is a french publisher and i have, have actually owned two of le boy de Joux's earlier kickstarting kickstarter games really enjoyed both of them like they they were both beautiful productions very thematic very unique takes on euro games so when it's a wonderful world had its first kickstarter uh, probably about a year and a half or two years ago i was pretty intrigued but i ended up passing on it i just didn't know if it was something that would that would you know really work for me so i didn't get it then but after the kickstarter got delivered about 3 or 4 months ago and people were starting to put up reviews on it and talk about it. I watched some playthroughs and it just looks like so much fun to me. It's a drafting game. It's pretty simple. You draft uh, like eight cards over four rounds, but it's, it's a unique mix of drafting cards and resource management and tableau building. Pretty simple, fairly abstract, but beautiful art on all the cards. It just looks like a lot of fun. So they released a follow-up Kickstarter and this one includes not only the kind of the base set, which probably would have been fine, but there's like, I don't know, something like you know, five to eight modular expansions in there that kind of come in little tuck boxes in the in the game. And the idea being that you can kind of play it out in a campaign style. So like you'll play a game that has a thematic meaning to it, and then you'll add in one of those expansions. In reality, the reason why this one is number five on my list is not because the game doesn't look fun, but because I think I probably made a mistake in backing the Kickstarter when I should have just bought the the base box. It's You can get it for under 40 bucks, you know, right now. And it's probably all the game that I need out of there. Like, it's not one of these games that you need 15 expansions for, especially if you've never played it. And so I'm going to end up with a box that's a lot bigger than I need, than it needs to be because it fits all the expansion content. And it's just going to be a fairly simple little light card game that probably, you know, deserves a tiny, a tiny little box. So I probably didn't need to spend a hundred dollars on this, uh, on this, you know, big. Isn't that the, uh, isn't that the curse of Kickstarter? I think? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> exactly. So. So I, I, I kind of regret this one, but on the other hand, I am still pretty excited about the game and, and they've done some great publishes. Chris, actually, uh, you know, I think you've played both the games. You, I, I gave you my copy of Outlive. Yes. Um, and that was, I think, their first Kickstarter game. And, and that is still a game that I almost regret giving away. I'm glad that you have it. You and I have played it a decent amount together. But it's one of those games that I do think about frequently and yeah. think like, oh, maybe I should have hung on to that. It it does, It I felt, I gave, when I gave it away to you, I felt like it, kind of did some things that I had other games that were pretty similar to. Um, but Outlive is a very unique game and um, one that I'd, I'd love to play anytime. So these, these guys have been making some interesting games and I always have my eyes on them in any case. We, we will play it again. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so that is my number five. So Adam, why don't you give us your number four? My number four is called Valhau Lavas. 
It's by, uh, <laughs> I, I just like hearing that. The The name is, is fantastic. It's by uh, Fidget Creative is the producers. I couldn't find the designer on it. And the uh, latest update looks like it's going to arrive early October here in the States. So this game, it's just a, a pretty simple card game. I think it was relatively inexpensive. You're, uh, you're outfitting your llamas with a helmet and a weapon and this and that and the other thing. So you're kind of drafting at first and then you duel. You just fight the other dudes. Your llama goes against some other llama and you fight it out. And it kind of works like that. And there's a little more to it. But it looks pretty fun and silly and the puns run wild. So uh, <laughs> it looked creative and different. So I, I packed it. I just looked it up on BGG and I'll just call out really quickly. Um, it's a few designers that are involved with it, but it, Bridget Crawford, John Crawford, and Matt Kate Kaiser, it looks like. Um, but I always like to see when there's a, um, a, a woman designer, uh, we don't have enough of them in, in our hobby. So I wanted, wanted to call that out. True, too true. Oh, cool. Um, I, do you, uh, does it look like something that is going to be, um, is it like a fun light game or is it something that's kind of a, a midweight game? It's in reading about it, you know, it says there's a little more than just than just puns and stuff there. But I, I think it's going to be relatively lightweight overall. Okay, maybe like an intro game or something to take on the road, a camping trip or whatever, yeah. and just have that in the car or bring it along. All right, uh, well, I did want to mention too. I, I I noticed that you mentioned when it was supposed to be delivered, but uh, it's a wonderful world. They've told me now that the game is done being produced and it's on ships right now, so we should be getting delivery in November of 2020. So I will call that out as I mentioned these, uh, just so if anybody that's listening hears anything they're interested in, maybe you can get a sense for when it might be in retail as well. All right, Chris, what's your number four? Coming in at number four for me was the Terraforming Mars Big Box and 3D Tiles by Stronghold Games. Uh, and that's another one actually kind of similar to um, to the uh, Star Realms in that it's not anything new. It's really just a nicer way to play a game that I already love. I, re- I really like Terraforming Mars. We actually covered that a couple uh, episodes ago. I think we all liked it a lot. And I think the one constant that we heard from everybody was the production sucks. It's just really, really bad. The tiles in particular, it's, it's kind of sad because the tiles are so interesting and cool, all the different variations, but having the little cardboard uh, chits just doesn't, just doesn't do it justice. And with the big box and the 3D tiles, they've really corrected that. And the big box, it kind of speaks for itself. It can hold all your expansions. It can hold all your tiles. Uh, the tiles themselves, though, were what really sold me on this. Because when I first got terraforming, I, I looked around because I wanted to find something that could correct the problem with the, with the, the tokens. And there is probably, you know, it's, it's sort of like um, Wingspan. You know, there's like 50 different versions you can get of all the different aftermarket pieces on it. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I finally found one that I settled on. Cost a bunch of money. Looks really nice. Um, wasn't perfect, but, but I really liked it. And, it. and it added tremendously to the game for me. Then I looked at when they came out with the official from Stronghold, and the tiles are just glorious. I mean, they're beautiful tiles. I don't think they could have done a nicer job with them, at least from the graphics that they're showing on Kickstarter. I saw that, and even though I'd already bought an expensive set of aftermarket tiles, I just said, I got to have these because they look amazing. I want to have the big box. And so I'm super excited to get that, even though it's just going to be a continuation of a game I'm already playing. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to uh, jump in and talk about this, too, because uh, not only do we have a crossover, but we have a crossover in the same place as my number four is Terraforming Mars Big Box. 
Um, and uh, for me, I won't say too much more, you know, beautiful. I like that there's a nice uh, storage expansion for it. But for me, as well as backing the big box and the, you know, the, the upgraded tiles, I also got every expansion is coming with that same Kickstarter. So although I'm excited about the upgraded tiles, I'm more excited about just getting to dig into some of those expansions that I haven't had a chance to play yet. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to get that. But that's why it's my number four too, is because it's not really new. It's just going to add some new content and some some new flash to it. So uh, we'll we'll move along quickly here. And uh, Adam, give us your number three. Yeah, that by the way, that's one of my sixteen I have on the way too. So anyway, it's not my top one. <laughs> <laughs> my number three is called Imperium: The Contention. Uh, it's by Contention Games. Maybe Tim, you can hook me up with the uh, designers while I talk about it a little bit more. It's due to get here. Well, February 2020 is the latest due date they have, and that's obviously not going to happen. Uh, it's in mass production, though. I think they got delayed with the coronavirus, like most other people. So it's you know maybe a couple months out. It is a uh, like a 4x card game that comes with six different decks of factions, and you can pick you know however many different decks. And I think there's a little bit of element of deck construction, but you don't have to, which is nice. Then it has all these different locations you add into add into the mix and you build this little grid out. I don't know if it's four by four or five by five, but the attractor here again for me was the art. The art looks fantastic. It has an outer space theme. Those are just all things that tug on my heartstrings. And uh, that's why I backed Imperium, the contention. Uh, the designer was Gary Dworetsky. So was this, uh, you know, you saw the art, but did, was there anything in the Kickstarter that kind of drove you to it as far as was there any the way the campaign run or any run uh, you know did they, did they do anything unique there or was it just uh, really the gameplay and the art that drew you in yeah not specifically the kickstart itself uh but the the art was a miniature tractor they have a couple little minis but not ridiculous amounts of minis i like the idea of a a card based 4x where you kind of set up this grid and just you don't have a huge map again it might be a little more portable than something like eclipse or lots of the 4x games that are out there a nice little just nice components. Again, nothing crazy or flashy, but what is the components that are there are just very, I don't want to say succinct. That doesn't really make sense, but they're, it's not overly done by any means. And it just, uh, and it's well done for what they, for what they're giving you. At least I hope so. We'll see when it gets here. All right, cool. Uh, Chris, what's your number three? Well, this is another one of those great minds think alike moments. Cause Adam had actually mentioned my number three on, one of our previous podcasts, and it is Fossilus by Kids Table Board Gaming. And this is the first game that I'm, I'm mentioning tonight that's new content for me. So this is one that I'm kind of excited about. I don't remember how it came to my attention, but it's a really cool looking game. It, it is kind of geared around younger players. And uh, for me, it, it's kind of a sad situation because I have an eight-year-old son that I've tried to get into gaming and has absolutely zero interest in it. So maybe I, I when I first saw this one, I thought, yeah, maybe this is the thing that gets him into it. I don't know. Even if he never plays this with me, I just think it looks like a fun game to play. The The board actually looks a lot like, for those who remember from back in the day, the uh, Don't Break the Ice game. Uh, not that it's similar in style, but I mean, just the board itself, you know, it's this square with a number of tiles and a grid. And the, the tiles stack up with different uh, different tiles being different types of, uh, of earth, you know, clay, dirt, sand. And then each of the individual players is a paleontologist trying to find the best combination of bones to build up their museum. And you do that by using different types of tools that allow you to dig through different types of, of ground, of different types of earth. 
getting you down to the place where you can actually reach the fossils. And then you try to build full skeletons by finding the different kinds of fossils in different locations. And there's a a number of variations in the game as well that add some neat features like like an attack scorpion and things like that. Uh, But it's a really cool looking game. It's a very 3D game, which I think is interesting. It's, It's a board only in the sense that it the, it's basically a a quasi flat surface but it's 3D in the sense that the tiles get higher and higher and it actually looks like you have your players crawling around on a mound at least from the graphics that are out on Kickstarter. Uh, it's a neat looking game. It looks like it'll be a lot of fun to play and uh, I'm pretty psyched to receive that one. Chris, this is this is one that I can't wait to get. It was just outside of my top 5. Uh, again the art here looks amazing the dinos the, the drawings of all the dinosaurs are just I mean, some of them are just like pretty freaking cute and others you know they look ferociously cute i guess i want to say the, i remember one thing about the kickstarter itself was they had the backers vote on the next there were the last few dinosaurs that would be included so that was kind of neat they had some pretty unique uh, nominations for for the final few dinosaurs that got included so that was pretty fun yeah, I actually forgotten about the uh, the voting that you mentioned, but that actually was really cool. It's kind of sad that none of my choices actually got picked, but still, I thought it was a great idea. All right, cool. All right, so my number three is a game. Uh, it's it's on the indie side. You guys have probably never heard of it. It's a little game called Frost Haven. Um, <laughs> obviously, I'm I'm kidding there because probably everybody that's listening to this backed it since it was the number one board game Kickstarter of all time and the number three Kickstarter of all time of anything. Uh, made something like $11 million or over that. I don't remember, 12, 13 million, something like that um, in backing. So everyone probably knows what Frosthaven is, but it's designed by Isaac Childress and it's a follow-up to the hugely popular Gloomhaven, which is a huge campaign style co-op game with tons and tons of content and tons of characters. I, uh, I had a friend try to talk me into backing Gloomhaven when the very first Kickstarter came out and he showed it to me and I said, yeah, that looks okay, but... I had played uh, Descent 2nd Edition and absolutely hated it. And I just did not have any interest in another dungeon crawler story-driven game because I had such a bad experience with Descent um, at the time. So I didn't back it. I kind of regret it because it would have been a, I, I could have resold it and made tons of money back then. It was hard to get. But I also regret that I didn't actually give it a try. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have loved Gloomhaven, and uh, I've been very tempted over the years to pick it up. So when the Kickstarter campaign came out, at first I was like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to jump into that hype. But ultimately, I I felt like, you know, so many people love Gloomhaven. I I should give this a try. So I backed it, almost immediately regretted it because I then started to remember that I don't typically like that type of game. And I I watched some playthroughs that looked pretty fun, but I, me and Adam tried to play a um, tabletop simulator uh, episode of it one night. Um, It wasn't perfectly set up. I don't think all the components were in there. Um, but I didn't find it to be that fun of an experience that one little session either. So I was kind of like, oh, maybe this is just, you know, a bad TTS experience. Maybe it's just a starter session and it'll get more interesting. But I was kind of not that excited about it until Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion just came out a few months ago, um, released in Target, which is kind of a smaller box version of those games. And since it was, you know, fairly accessible and easy to pick up, I, I was in Target one day, I saw it on the shelf and I went ahead and grabbed it. And I've had a really good time playing that so far. So now I am really excited about uh, Frosthaven again. But I still have um, a decent amount of content left to play in Jaws of the Lion. So hopefully, you know, I'm done with that by about the time Frosthaven gets delivered. I'm sure probably much before that. But uh, I like what I'm reading that Frosthaven is bringing. You know, obviously, Gloom, uh, Jaws of the Lion is a little bit more of a simpler version. 
But um, the things that Frosthaven adds on are the types of things that I would want them to add on into a campaign style game like this. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm excited to get this one set up. And I think this, this will be a game that gets set up on the, uh, on the, the gaming table and other games will be played on top of it for a long time to come. So I'm not taking it down all the time. So for your numbers on uh, Frosthaven, Tim, you're close The just under 13, $12.9 million and wow. 83,000, almost 83,200 backers. That's nuts. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, like I said, I, I think a, a few people that are listening here probably, probably have that coming at some point too. They did just release, uh, Idric Childress did just release, uh, they're, they're doing re- really regular updates, which is nice. About once a week, we're getting an update on the campaign. Um, they did just notify us that they're about two months behind schedule and it's not based on production at this point. It's just on the development of the game. Um, even though they you know, released a really nice flashy Kickstarter campaign, there was a lot of content that they still had to develop. And so he said he's a little bit delayed on that at this point. And so they're saying, uh, I think July of 2021 at this point is the target release date, even though it was expected to be May originally. So yeah, that's Frosthaven. That's my number three. All right. So Adam, let's uh, get into your number two. My number two is Capital Lux 2. That's by Aporta Games, the designer again. Whoops, I didn't write that down. But the artist is Quanchi Moria, one of my favorite artists in board games and just in general. Amazing art. Uh, the, the card game itself, I don't know much about it from uh, Capital Lux original, but it's supposed to be good. It's a little card game. It's kind of lightweight. It might be seeing a theme here other than uh, High Frontier for me, but kind of not too much stuff for the most part in a lot of these. Hopefully good games, light on the components is what I was kind of, is what I'm shifting towards looking forward to these days. I'm looking at the, uh, at some pictures of this and it almost looks, uh, at least the original Capital Locks, like the art is beautiful, cool sci-fi art, but it almost looks maybe like a trick-taking type of game. I mean, it's, it's very much a pretty standard card, card set. Uh, it looks like, you know, I see just a few different cards in different colors and different numbers, but do you know anything at all about the gameplay? It, it you know, I can, um. I can pull it up and find out a little more here as we're talking and come back to it. But no, off the top of my head, I've just read good things. Okay. All right. Well, that's cool. It's nice. Um, th- that is one of the things that at least for me has been a, a decision and you'll probably see that you- you'll see that as we get through the rest of this list here, for the most part, most of my games are games that have already been out, you know, either from a previous Kickstarter version or this is a second edition of it or something like that where the original got a lot of good reviews. I, I, for me, I think like, I feel a lot better about backing a Kickstarter that just has some extra stuff. If it's got, you know, if it's a proven game versus backing a game that, you know, it looks fun, but you don't really know whether it's going to be any good. You know, I, I, I definitely kind of lean on that side and you'll see that with the rest of my list. And that, that seems to be what Capital Lux is. That's very cool. All right, Chris, what about your number two? All right. Well, my number two actually reminds me of a phenomenon that I've been seeing over these last couple of years. And that is with a child, I see a lot of kids' movies. And I've noticed that the kids' movies you see these days, you see a lot of 80s references, a lot of 80s music. And they all got 80s music now. They got whole, you know, kids' movies now that are based, you know, for kids these days that are are based around 80s music. And the whole idea there, I think, is that the people who were coming up in the 80s and digging all that stuff then are the parents now, right? So they're selling this to us. They want us to enjoy it too. So my number two was Return to Dark Tower by Restoration Games. And I can remember, I'm going to talk for a second about the original Dark Tower, which came out in 1981 and it was released by Milton Bradley. And I can still remember seeing the Dark Tower game in the Sears catalog 
And man, I'm really dating myself there. But those who can remember actually getting the hard copy Sears catalog for Christmas that had the toys in the back and Dark Tower was in there. It was it was this amazingly interesting game. And I don't actually know much about the game itself. It was a big round board. In the middle, there was a, a, a digital tower that would give out signals you know, based on the turn, what was going to happen, and good things could happen to you, bad things could happen to you based on whatever the tower said in the original game. And it was uh, this big intimidating black tower, and it was the coolest looking thing ever. And so at the same time, it was capitalizing both on the early 80s craze for the role-playing games, Dungeons and & Dragons and what have you, and also video games. And as far as I can tell, this is one of the first games I'm aware of that actually had a single player mode. So they kind of you know foresaw things that were coming later on in the future. But now turning to Return to Dark Tower, obviously someone who has a little bit of nostalgia uh, doing this, it is similar in a lot of ways. It's got that same large circular board. It's got that same looming uh, dark tower, uh, mechanical tower that, that does a lot of cool stuff. I honestly do not know a whole lot about the gameplay other than I'd read some interesting things or people thought it was interesting, looking a fun game. And I just, just seeing this thing, seeing the physical presentation of it, just it, it made me a 10 year old again. And <laughs> I just saw that and I'm like, man, you know what? I got to have this one. And I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that the game is actually good. I, I, I know in my heart that it will be because you can't look that cool and not be good because you can always tell a book by its cover. <laughs> right. Right. Isn't that how it goes? That's, that's correct. That's what I've heard. Yep. No, I, uh, I didn't have any memories of return to dark tower when I was a kid, but I will tell you that my favorite part of Christmas every year was getting that Sears catalog and um, browsing <laughs> and daydreaming about it um, every day coming up to Christmas and usually not getting anything that I circled in it. <laughs> I always hoped, you know, that was, that was a, that was a big dream book for me. Yeah, obviously this was another big Kickstarter this year. Uh, a lot of people were really excited about it. And Restoration Games seems to be doing really cool stuff with old IPs. So, the, you know, the company that's bringing it to Kickstarter. So hopefully mm-hmm. you get an interesting and fun design out of there. They seem to have a really cool production, great minis. And the little bit I watched on the gameplay actually did look like a fun uh, co-op game with some uh, some fun, fun things going on there. So cool. Um, that is your number two. So I'll jump into mine. My number two is, again, another uh, game that's been successful in the past and was was highly regarded, and that was Glenn Moore. And this is uh, the Kickstarter for Glenn Moore 2 Chronicles. Um, more, uh, more accurately, it's for Glenn Moore 2 Highland Games, which is an expansion for Chronicles. Uh, but I also backed and got the, the base game, you know, the original Glenn Moore 2 Chronicles with the Highland Games expansion. I did it for a couple of reasons. I've been hearing some really good things about this. has been a little below the radar you know, with when I've been reading reviews and content creators, like the people that have played it are just raving about it, but a lot of people just didn't have it on their radar. And I can see why. I mean, you know, Glenn Moore in general, it's it's a, a Euro game. It looks very Euro-y and it's, it's set in the Scottish Highlands. Um, nothing that would have really drawn me in necessarily, but because I was hearing all this rave, uh, all these rave reviews about it, I decided to check it out. One of my favorite podcasts or one that I listen to frequently put it as their number one game of last year. And um, the idea being that it's essentially kind of a tile placement game where you move around a rondelle, kind of like parks, and based on where you move in the rondelle, then you pick up the tile that's there. But it's a little bit more advanced than that. The tile placement seems like there's a little bit of a resource management piece to it, like where sometimes 
when you place the tile, you get special resources, but other tiles require you to play the resources. So it seems like there's a little bit more going on there. People are raving about it. And the idea behind the, the Chronicles box is that you have the base game of, of Glenmore, but then Chronicles is like eight or 10 little tuck boxes, kind of like uh, It's a Wonderful World I was mentioning, but where they have little mini expansions. And each mini expansion basically provides you a different game to play. So it seems like there's a lot of repl- replayability in here. Some of the pe- some people that have been playing those Chronicles have raved about them, how much they add to the game. Sometimes they don't add a whole lot. You can just throw them in, but sometimes they really change the game up and it feels like a different experience. And after watching some gameplay videos, it looks like the type of game that I will really enjoy as a Euro. And the other reason why I got ex- even more excited right now is because the the Highland Games expansion adds a solo mode to it as well. So, you know, I'm always a little hesitant to back a game if I don't know exactly who I'm going to play with. I think that this is going to be a good fit with my wife and a couple of our other friends who are kind of into, you know, more midweight Euro games. But um, I don't know that for sure. And at least if it's got a solo mode, I can I can get some enjoyment out of it, even if I don't get it played with a lot of other people. So that's my number two, Glenmore 2 Chronicles. And that was that's by... Um, uh, Matthias Kramer, and uh, that is expected to be released in January of 2021. And I'm hoping that's the case because I'm pretty excited about that one. All right, now we get to uh, our big number one. So Adam, let's hear what you got. What's your what's your big number one? Can't wait to hear it. My big number one is Canvas by Road to Infamy Game. Uh, Road to Infamy Games. It's uh, Jeffrey Chin, Andrew Nerger, and the art, again, the art is beautiful, is by, I might mess this name up, but Luan Wynn, I believe. And actually had 16,000 backers. Again, relatively inexpensive in this game. There's like, you're building your own piece of art. And it's done via, I think you have three kind of transparencies that have sections of art on them. And you stack them up together to make a a cute little picture. And again, the components are nice. It just looks like a, a simple, a very pleasant. It doesn't look too combative, but who knows? Actual gameplay might be combative. I believe it's kind of a set building aspect as you're laying these three transparencies on top of each other. You're trying to fill in the bottom has these little uh, resource icons, some kind of icons you're trying to fill up um, at the bottom to get the most points. The components look amazing. It has little miniature easels to put your artwork on. It has little um, artists uh, palette tokens that I believe are some kind of resource that are made for counting points um, that has like ribbons for different art categories that you can, get first or second or whatever prize just the the whole production looks fantastic and so that's what sold me on canvas yeah this looks beautiful i'm looking at a picture right now i've heard a little bit about it i think when the kickstarter was live i uh, heard a couple of reviews of it and people were saying it was a very enjoyable set collection and resource management game i think but uh it, it, it's a, it's beautiful the way that they managed to make these transparencies that the art fits together like i'm seeing a bunch of you know, cards that are art pieces that somebody created in the game and they've taken these different elements and they somehow managed to all work together in really interesting, interesting, fascinating ways. It's clever. The, the artist is really, the artist is, is amazing because the art looks so good and it's clever how you can take almost any, so you have a background and you can take almost any two other elements and stack it on top and it comes out with some sort of almost beautiful looking picture. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And this is, this is one that I am definitely excited to play, even if it's a little bit lighter than what I'm usually looking for. Um, it just looks like it'd be one of those games that I could just enjoy just sitting with the components and, and you know, being a part of the experience. Right. So, all right, very cool. Uh, that is interesting, Adam. You mentioned earlier on in the, in the review that you have been kind of leaning towards 
lighter, um, you know, a little bit easier to get to the table games lately. Um, and I was, I'm a little surprised by your list. You definitely had more of that, obviously, other than High Frontiers, uh, which is completely the opposite direction. But do you, what's, uh, you know, why do you think you're kind of leaning that way? What's kind of pushing you in that direction? Well, a lot of it, um, so some of it is my daughter. Like, I could see myself playing these games with my daughter in the future as she gets older. A lot of it is I have a, a few heavyweights that I'm happy with. And just the hassle of getting out this box and setting up this whole map and taking out these minis. 30 minutes later, maybe you're ready to play. Or maybe not. Um, so I like that kind of grand event if I'm wanting to do that. But if it's just me and a friend or two couple friends and we just want to play something quick and have a chat and just want to kind of socialize with each other and the board game is a medium for that. Then something like this, lightweight and beautiful, but with enough thinkiness or maybe some discoverable elements, some emergent gameplay in there is, is great. So that's kind of what I'm just, I don't know. That's what I've been tending towards lately. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, uh, we all evolve and change our tastes change and, Mm -hmm. you know, they can fluctuate and stuff like that. And sometimes, like you said, you know, it's, it's more about just filling a gap in, you know, your collection or your play style. So you, you may have a lot of stuff that still makes you happy at, at different weights, but now you're finding things that are fitting more with the niche that you feel like you've missed out on or don't have. So, uh, all right, cool. Thanks for sharing your list with us. Chris, what's your number one? My number one was Dawn of Madness by Dimension Games, uh, which kickstarted just about a little bit less than a year ago. And I remember this one in particular because I saw this and my eyes, I, they widened like a kid in a candy store. And I think I texted Tim about it. <laughs> yes, you did. In his, in his response back, you know, this, I had just gotten taken delivery of um, uh, Cthulhu, Death May Die. And Tim said, oh, yeah, man, just what you need. Another horror-based co-op game with a lot of miniatures. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that is exactly what I need. <laughs> uh, no, actually, this game, it, it is one of the most grotesque, macabre games I think I've ever seen. The art on it, the figures, the uh, which is, it's all beautiful. But it is so horrifying. And even though I don't get to uh, indulge in it very often anymore, I've always been a huge fan of the horror genre. And this one doubles down on the horror in a big way. Very story-based, very uh, experience-based in terms of the, the the visuals of the game and the theming of the game. Uh, you're, you're trying to survive in an other world in a sort of alternate reality, which is it's unclear whether it's just basically your own madness. Um, but uh, one of the interesting things that I really liked about this is as you're traveling through this, this alternate world, you interact with these characters called malformations, which are essentially bastardized versions of your own player character. And there's about five or six, depending on if you've got expansions or not, five or six base characters, each with their own story that you can use. Each has a backstory that creates these malformations, which are these kind of grotesque versions of that person that relate to their their psychological trauma. And again, it's just, it's really, really gnarly looking stuff. And Truthfully, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know who I'm going to play this with. Uh, this is not a, the kind of game that we would normally sit down and play on a game night. I'm sure as hell not going to get my family to play it with me. Uh, but I looked at this and I said, this is one of the few games I could picture myself sitting down and playing solo. I'm not normally a solo gamer, but I would sit down and do this one because I want to hear the story. I want to put those figures on the board. 
assuming it looks as cool as it does in the Kickstarter. And I just really want to get that on the table and see it and, and see what it's all about. So I'm that one's not going to be coming for a long time. I, I think it's uh, late 2021, maybe even. It, it's it's uh, it's going to be a late arrival. It's a lot of stuff that has to get done to, to make this thing happen with all the figures. But I, I'm super excited to see it and I can't wait to try it. Chris, just hearing your description there makes me want to like turn out the lights, get some like torches and some candles and stuff and set up a nice little uh, ambient area and get that game going, man. Maybe uh, Halloween. I like your style, dude. Halloween 2021. Yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, and I got to say, Chris, uh, when I when you did tell me about that and you had already backed Cthulhu Death May Die, I don't even think we'd played it yet at the time. And then you saw this game and you're like, yeah, I got to get that too. And I'm like, you know, Chris is just, he's got the Kickstarter bug. He's going to back all these big mini heavy games. They're going to be stupid dumb, you know, like games that nobody's ever going to want to play. So I was trying to ward him off, but he he went in on it anyway. But um, then in, in all fairness, I also have evolved a little bit over the last couple of years. And I had a great experience with Cthulhu Death May Die. I had a lot of fun playing that with Chris and would actually love to dig in on that one more. Um, and uh, I've had a lot of fun with Gloomhaven, which is also, you know, really a kind of a campaign based. It's not it's more mechanics driven and a little less story driven, I think. But I think, and I've heard great things about um, uh, Tainted Grail also, and what I've heard about it actually sounds really fascinating. So I also feel like even though I may usually prefer a competitive uh, experience, these story-driven campaigns, as long as the mechanics of the game are fun and give you some agency and feel like you're actually making meaningful choices and not just kind of led along by the game mechanics... I am actually pretty fascinated by it. So I, I, since we're going to be living across country, you know, I, I don't know that it's likely we'll ever get far into a campaign, but I'd love to try it with you when I'm visiting at some point, if there's an opportunity to do that. Uh, if not, anyway, I'm really interested to see how you end up liking it once you get it and, and start playing with it. Dude, I'll find a way to get it on the table for us. We'll do it. Sounds good. All right. Well, here is my number one, and that is a game that has not been, it's not based on another game. It's never been produced before. So I'm taking a little bit of a risk with this one, but I am super excited about it. This is a game called Dwellings of Eldervale. Um, this is designed by Luke Laurie, and I think it's uh, I think it's Breaking Games as the um, uh, publisher. That's the word I'm looking for. This was, uh, this was a Kickstarter. I actually, I remember the moment that I backed it because I was in Turks and Caicos on vacation last year. Had a had a great day. My wife had been playing some games with me that afternoon. I had a few drinks and I was uh, my family went to bed and I was just up like feeling like I want to be playing more games. And I found this guy and got into it and got super excited and backed it. And I, it has been my most anticipated game to play um, since I f- discovered that Kickstarter. A little bit about the game. Chris, when we were talking about Gaia Project last week, you made a comment about how it looked like someone just took a whole bunch of mechanisms and threw them in a box and Gaia Project came out of it. This one truly does seem to have taken almost every mechanism from board from modern board games, put it in a box. But I think, I think they've done it in a way that's really going to work. So this is an area control game, but it's a Euro area control game. So your area, the areas out on the map, which are modular hex tiles, the uh, creatures that you put out there are actually workers, as in worker placement. So you, you're, it's a worker placement game where you're going to put your workers out on the on these different hex tiles on the map, and the different hex tiles have either different abilities or resources that you're collecting. But if somebody else moves into that area with you, they can also collect resources, but then you combat. So it's a worker placement game with combat in it. But beyond that, uh, what really makes it interesting, I mean, that's that's seems kind of fun on its own. Uh, what really makes it interesting to me is that it has a great engine building element. 
There are ways to pick up some cards that you'll put into a tableau in front of you. But the way that you buy these cards, the way you do several things is with the resources you get on the board. But when you get the resources on the board, instead of it just being a standard resource, like let's say a hammer, instead it's a set of tiles. And so that's random. Every, every game, the tiles have different randomized resources on them. And so you pick up these little resource tiles and you put them on your player board. And then you can either use the, those resource tiles to pay for something later, to like to build it, to put a card into your space. But a lot of the Tableau cards actually have slots on it that you can basically build your cards up or make them stronger. So you can take the little resource tiles you've taken, put them onto one of your Tableau cards. And then later when the Tableau card activates, instead of doing just giving you one hammer, it might give you one hammer and two gold because you slotted in that extra resource thing to it. So it just looks like a really fun combination, a beautiful production. It's it's a huge box. Everything's in game trays. Uh, I think it's 16 um, asymmetric factions. Hmm. And and one of the other really cool things about it, which I love, the few times I've found this in a worker placement game, is um, each of the worker types, there's four different worker types for each faction, like workers, um, and then there's, there's soldiers, wizards, and dragons. So you actually have a dragon meeple that's one of your workers. Um, but each of them have different abilities. And then each faction, two of the types of, of workers, and they can be different per faction, have a unique ability that's unique to that faction. So very varied gameplay it looks really exciting it's not really punishing so when you uh, when you go and you know go to combat you might lose your worker but you get like so let's say that i've got a worker on a tile i went there and i took a resource for it so i already got my benefit now you can go there you want to go to the same space and get the same benefit but you're at risk that when you go there you're going to go to battle with me well you still get the resource from that space first before we get to combat so at minimum you've gone there and you've gotten what you needed but there's some advantages to keeping your guys out on the board but if either of us die after combat, the workers that die, uh, basically they, they go to, I don't know, purgatory or something like that, but they get a sword resource, which helps them in future combats. So even if you lose, you get something for it. It does, you know, it impacts your strategy a little bit, but it doesn't like ruin your game if you have a bad dice roll because it is dice-based combat. And so that's, it's a Euro game with dice-based combat on it. It looks really fun to me. One other thing else I want to mention about it is that there are huge plastic minis because it's some places on the board that you, these tiles that you can discover, the new worker placement spaces, they come up, they're called layers, and they will have a big elemental mini on it. And there are, uh, you know, different, uh, different minis for different huge creatures for every aspect of, uh, or every element that's covered in that game. I think there's eight different elements. When the mini comes out, it has a special ability, but it will come and attack you if you even go next to it. And then you have to combat the mini. And so you can have these big monsters that are roaming around the board while the players are out there trying to collect resources and they can just get attacked by these huge monsters that are roaming. But you can also defeat them and get, you know, get some extra benefits for it. Uh, and then the, the, the big gimmicky thing that they did for this campaign is that aside from having those big minis, they built these sound bases for them so that you can actually, when you put the mini like this monster out on the board, it'll roar. Which is super cheesy. <laughs> that's I, I, ridiculous. That's ridiculously awesome. Right there. That's cool. I plan to play with it one time and then put them back in the box and never play with them again. Um, <laughs> I, it's, I, I almost think it's unfortunate because I actually think the game looks really strong and it looks really fun. And I think that that gimmick probably turned some people off. You know, seeing oh, there's these little cheesy sound bases in a game like that's not that's not the type gonna of game for me. You know going to cheapen it a little bit yeah so. i think so yeah but uh but it could also add some fun some fun experiences too so i heard the words i heard the word area control come out of your mouth and i glanced i was like what who's talking is this tim? <laughs> i know i know i is this wait this is the wrong guy this is this can't be tim this is, who's talking and then and then i heard and then i heard worker placement i was like <laughs> oh okay okay it's it's tim he's back <laughs>
Yeah, and Tim, before before you come down too hard on those sound bases, just think that's better than the Cthulhu energy drink that Peterson Games recently <laughs> did. So there's always that. that that's true. But Chris, uh, you did back the, the energy drink. So, I mean, it, it must not have been that bad. <laughs> no, it's, I can always use a good buzz. <laughs> All right. Well, that was my number one game. Um, and by the way, that one I've been waiting for. It was actually supposed to be delivered, I think, May or June. So I've been... I've been anxious for it for a while. They had it slightly delayed, but from what I understand, it's on the ships coming over from China right now, and it is expected to be fulfilled by November. Now, here's the big rub here is that I'm moving this week um, to a different state. And uh, of course, my uh, on the on the backer kit and everything, my address is on my current address because I didn't know, obviously, that they were going to be delayed, and I didn't even know I was going to be moving this soon when I when I filled all that stuff out. So I, I uh, reached out to Breaking Games this week, and they sent me over to the Fulfillment Center, this company that does fulfillment for this game in the United States. And the Fulfillment Center got back to me and said, we're sorry, it's too late to change your address on the game. And I'm not sure. I would love if anyone is listening to this and knows how distribution centers work, why they couldn't update the spreadsheet that has my address on it <laughs> two months before the game's going to get fulfilled. I'd love to understand that because that doesn't make any sense to me. But in any case, um, apparently what they're doing is they're using FedEx Smart Post for the home delivery, which goes through USPS, meaning uh, I think that's, if it's the one I'm thinking of, but basically it's where USPS does the final stage of delivery. So FedEx is delivering from the fulfillment center to the post office, and then the post office delivers it to your door. So theoretically, because I've got address forwarding, the USPS should deliver it to my new address. I'm actually the uh, guy that works at the fulfillment center and I am not going to update your address. So <laughs> <laughs> keep our fingers crossed for you. I, I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause I have been so excited for this one for a long time. And I, I'm just, and I just, uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't make it to me, I'll be very, very sad, very disappointed. I even, um, you know, aside from upgrading every, like getting every possible add on and paying, I, I I mean, it's a, it's like a hundred dollar game and I probably put $300 into it and add-ons and component upgrades and all the expansion content and everything at this point. And I, this is just not something I usually do, but it just looks so fun to me. But even one of the things I did is that they didn't offer directly was um, the resources. Uh, one of the upgrades was to make them into woody wooden minis. You know, they, they were cardboard shits, but then they changed them into, you could, you could upgrade for wooden minis, but um, an external company was offering wooden minis that were screen printed with little graphic design on them. And I paid like an extra 40 bucks just to have the same minis with a little screen printing on them. And those were already delivered to me. I've had them sitting in my house taunting me for about a month. <laughs> oh, no. And if I end up just with the, with the upgraded resources and never get the game for it, it'll be the biggest kick in the butt ever. But, I was browsing that the campaign page while you're talking. It looks like a spectacular game. It looks great. Oh man, does yeah. it? Yeah, I I can't wait. That'll be that'll be my my number one when we uh, when we all get together in person. If I've got that game, that's one I'm definitely hoping to get out and uh, get played with you guys. Yeah, when you first uh, told us about that one, man, I looked at that and that's I'm jealous. I'm jealousy on that one. Awesome. Well, you know, I may not get it, so <laughs> maybe sometime in the future, um, you, you maybe you'll, you'll have it before I do. We'll see. All right, guys. Well, this was a really fun conversation. Um, it, interesting to hear what you guys have been looking at and thinking about for the last couple of years as we're looking at Kickstarters. So a uh, great conversation here. I think that'll wrap us up today. Um, you can find us on Twitter at BG Hot Takes, on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes, and on BoardGameGeek.com under Guild 3804. Tell us what you thought of our discussion today, and we'd love to hear from you. Until next week, take care, everybody. Bye-bye.